You can be seated. So good. Turn back in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10 as we continue to look and preach through the book of Acts. While you're turning there, I want to say a couple of things as we go into this text. Um, please remember to pray for Don Rice, our brother. We are thankful that he's here today, but they discovered cancer in his larynx. And so for the next seven weeks, he will be undergoing chemo and um, radiation for that. And so we want you to be mindful. Um, of course, Don has had a long history here with our church, has been a very prominent member. There's pretty much not anybody in the church whose lives have not been touched by Don Rice. So let's remember to pray for our brother and that God will give him a, a full healing to this. Remember... Pastor Alex, his surgery is this week. Um, it is a surgery that will, uh, a back fusion, so it's very serious surgery, and yet at the same time, we have a great deal of hope and expectation, um, perhaps that he'll, his back probably will feel better than it ever has. And we know in all these things that we submit uh, these things to the Lord in prayer, and we know that God does all things good and well. And so we're always mindful of that. Let's look at Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. And about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When an angel spoke to him, he had departed. He called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were journeying, and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat, but thou, while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending and being let down by its four corners upon the earth, and in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. 
But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry from Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out and asked whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one who you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago about this hour I was praying in my house. At the ninth hour, behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, for you, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear All that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. And you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea and beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went 
about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are all witnesses of his, that he did this both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. And to him, the prophets bear witness that everyone that believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful to gather this day that you have designated the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. The church across the globe gathers this day to worship and to celebrate Jesus' conquering of sin, death, hell, and the grave. We submit to you, Lord Jesus, this morning, our dear brother, Don. We thank you, Lord, for his service to you and his love for you and how it's manifested and how he serves others. And we ask him, or ask of you, Lord, I should say this morning, as we, as we commit him to your care, that you'll raise him up that you'll remove the cancer, Lord, and that you'll give him a full recovery. Give him the strength to endure these seven weeks. Be with his dear wife, Mary, who has a great deal of physical issues. Lord, comfort them. Be near to them. We ask you now to be with our dear brother and your servant, Pastor Alex, and we're thankful, Lord, to hear of the potential good report of what could happen, and yet, Lord, we know that this surgery is a serious surgery, and so we ask for its success, that you will bless him and give him a full raising up, that as he'll continue to serve you. Father, we're thankful that we can pray for these things, know, knowing assuredly that you hear our prayer. And we submit both those 
circumstances for your will. We thank you, Lord, for the words of God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gospel, for this text, whereas Peter faithfully preaches. We're thankful for that. Help us now to see the beauty and the glory of Jesus for our church family. Lord, then move in us to live for your honor and glory alone. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The book of Acts is a very fast-paced book. As we have been moving through it, I'm sure you can't help but notice the gospel is moving out now from Jerusalem. It is going into cities and towns and villages, and each chapter is filled with a human drama. There's martyrdom. Martyrdom for those who are in the church who will not forsake and deny seeing Jesus resurrected from the dead. And there is certainly murder taking place on those evil, vengeful hearts that are seeking to stamp out Christianity. There's a great deal of passion when you're reading the text. It's kind of easy um, to move through this, maybe as just a story, but when in fact this is a real historical narrative. Amidst all of these transactions that take place and the lives uh, that are affected, we see the miraculous take place. And we are certainly a people who believe in the miraculous. Truly, all of us are sitting here because of the miracle-working nature that God raised our, our, our dead hearts to faith in Jesus. And so as, as we're looking at this text, and, and really the book of Acts is like the rest of the Bible, it is telling us one story. This is the redemptive story of how God saves his people. And even in the book of Acts, it's not giving us everybody's uh, life story. Rather, God, through the Holy Spirit, left us the specific accounts to give us the redemptive narrative. So there were a lot of other things in these towns and villages and, and, and uh, cities that were taking place where the gospel is going forward. And uh, I, think, I think probably because we were raised and we live in America, we have a tendency to think that God saves and only moves in, in like large events. And it's got to be viewed as, you know, something big and spectacular. And uh, certainly God does that. God, God will make movement. He, he certainly, even though I think uniquely, is doing so in the book of Acts. But really... The gospel, is, it comes down to house to house and relationship to relationship and far more where people were converted to Jesus throughout family relationships, throughout friend relationships, 
through God just putting us into relationship with other people. And so for those of you that know Jesus, I, I pray this morning you'll be challenged by this. Um, because we're the holders of and the possessors of, because it's saved us, of the power of God, the gospel. It is the gospel that is the power of God into salvation. And as we've moved through Acts, and we find ourselves looking at Acts chapter 10, this would be, I guess, considered, as we're going through it, not as much a verse-by-verse exposition as a expositional narrative. Each week, we are connecting events from previous events, but all of those events are narrowed down into telling us one story, and it is the story that saved both you and I. And so there's two movements that I want to give you for you note-takers this morning. We're going to first of all look at the gospel expansion, and along with that, secondly, we're going to look at the gospel inclusion. The gospel expansion and the gospel inclusion. Please turn to Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to take us through a jaunt together that I think is very, very important. And this is going to help shrink this 28-chapter book for us and follow along the the one-story redemptive measure that will help you see, again, this large book of the Bible really is following after one thing. The gospel expansion is what we're going to first look at. You know, it's, it's obviously uh, one of the enjoyments of, of being in relationship with Pastor Alex is that every day we get to talk um, theology and doctrine and we do so we do so literally every day every day that we spend together uh, we you know the Lord will you know bring up something through human circumstance or whatever and it has certainly been uh, uh, for my benefit uh, and, and an enjoyable thing because iron sharpens iron and it was of one day when we were talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works. And, and this message itself isn't going to be like an exhaustive teaching on the Holy Spirit, but there's going to be some very important things that you and I are going to note together today from Acts chapter 10 about the Holy Spirit. And it was on one such occasion that... Um, Pastor Alex told me of, of a very influential man in his life known as Dr. Brand. And Alex was his grader and um, kind of his, his teacher's aide. And um, Dr. Brand recently went to be with Jesus. Alex got to go down there and go to his funeral. But Dr. Brand was a sort of mentor, certainly, in Alex's life. And he shared with him what we're about to go through, very briefly. And again, we're going to turn to these passages. And so for you 
You note takers, uh, I'm not going to stay parked long, but I certainly will recite, recite them to you. So let's picture this, right? Jesus is on the earth for 40 days after the resurrection. We know that from Acts chapter 1. And we also know from Matthew chapter 28 that in his resurrected body, the Lord Jesus gives the great commission to the church. And he, he tells them, this is what you're going to do. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said unto them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. For behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now turn with me to Acts chapter 1. And keep all of these things in mind as we move through this to Acts chapter 1. Now you can imagine being an apostle, the type of burden that that would have been. Think of the human drama that these guys experienced from having walked with Jesus for three and a half years only to see him killed on a cross, the devastation that they had experienced. And then they go from devastation to exuberation because Jesus rises from the dead and then he spends 40 days with them only to tell them now he's going away again. And this is what he says to them, okay, in verse 8, Acts chapter 1. Very important. I would say this is the central theme of Acts. Acts chapter 1 is this verse, verse 8. And this is for us. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And what Dr. Brand told Pastor Alex and what Pastor Alex eventually shared with me, and I got to tell you, this was the first time I had ever heard this, is that there is a pattern of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the miraculous gifts, but particularly the baptism of the Holy Spirit that's tied to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where, again, the first church is Jerusalem, predominantly Jewish, now expands to Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And, and we're going to be preaching through this, and to some of it we already have, but I want you to note this. This unique, this so unique and redemptive narrative as found in the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at chapter 2. So you could do this in these chapters. I've got this literally written. You, you people that love to write in your Bible, I like to write in my Bible. Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, and Acts chapter 19. So here's the first time this takes place. It takes place just as Jesus said it would. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2, verse 6. The church is gathered. They're awaiting. They're even anticipating, I believe, um, Jesus to return. That's why I think last week when we saw it says the apostles stayed back through the persecution. They thought Jesus was going to come back. But here's what took place. Once 
Jesus ascended, and we will celebrate Ascension Sunday as appropriate. That's right. We could say amen. We love that. And then we celebrate the descending of the Holy Spirit. Man, this all works together. Verse 6, and this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Why? Because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language and they were amazed and astonished. And there were probably at least 13 different types of languages and the baptism of the Holy Spirit came for the communication of the gospel so that the apostles could be the witnesses of Christ in Jerusalem. There's Jerusalem, just as Jesus said. Now turn to Acts chapter um, 8. Acts chapter 8. A couple of weeks ago, I told you that we would, I would mention this two weeks, which is obviously this morning. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 14. Now, of course, the gospel has gone into Judea and Samaria. Um, the scripture tells us, you know, we saw this through, through um, Philip's preaching. Look at verse 14. Now when the apostles that were at Jerusalem had heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, we're going to go to start churches, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now this works chapter 8 in concert with chapter 10. Go to, go to our text in chapter 10. This is Judea and Samaria, the words of Jesus commissioned to them in Acts chapter 1. While Peter, verse 44, was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was being poured out on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Judea and Samaria. I don't want to stop here, so let's go to chapter 19. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and into the ends of the earth. So again, Acts 1, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, and Acts chapter 19, the demonstration of the gospel now going to the end of the earth. Because when we get through Acts chapter 28, it's just as the Apostle Paul will tell the church at Colossae, the gospel has gone into the entire world. It is a fulfillment of Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. The gospel of the kingdom has gone into all of the world through the impact of this early church. Anyways, we're not going to preach this text, but I want you to note this. Right? They're, they're way far away. It says in chapter 19, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passes through the inland country and came to Ephesus, and there he found some disciples, and he said to him, 
did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, you got to know there's not internet, right? People ain't driving around in cars. These guys are a far piece away. And they said, man, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And he said, into, into John's baptism. So the message and the revelation that they had received was John the Baptist's revelation that we need to repent for a Messiah is coming. So it's not just the Holy Spirit. They had vaguely even knew of Jesus of Nazareth. Of course, all this we're going to look at and gets preached on in chapter 19. And Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul had laid his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Speaking in tongues, the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens in Jerusalem, it happens in Judea and Samaria, then it's happening at the ends of the earth. And this is what takes place. Baptism of the Holy Spirit and the miraculous gifts accompanies the early church, and it does so to authenticate because the New Testament isn't completed yet and written, the message of the gospel and the communication of the gospel to the globe, to the nations, that Jesus told them they would do, go make disciples of all nations in Matthew chapter 28. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was the stamp of God on the early church, and it was to fulfill Christ's commission that he had called them to that he told them once he was resurrected that he reiterates to them before he ascends and of course it's the primary mission of the church to evangelize the world that's why we want to take the gospel to people and through that in taking gospel to people and man that happens primarily house to house and the connections that you have in family and friends relationships the ministry of the holy spirit works in ways unforeseen. We don't always understand how he's going to work. But man, do we ever trust the gospel? Because it's the gospel that exploded into my mind and heart. And awakened me to the, to, to the terrible thing that was going to happen to me over my sin. Gave me life through regeneration that I would repent and trust in Christ. So what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> First of all, let me just say a couple things. Okay, and again, this is not going to be an exhaustive discussion on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But here's the significance of it. In case you're wondering, you know, I've never had that. Yes, you have. You read Romans chapter 6 and in Romans chapter 8, at your conversion, when you professed faith, when the Holy Spirit regenerated you, regenerated you, the Holy Spirit baptized you into the body of Jesus. It is an act of God. Now, here, in the unique nature of the communication of the gospel, it accompanied the gospel message to communicate the gospel so people who weren't in the same languages could understand one another. But you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. And here's the proof of it for your own self. And as you study this on your own, because we're not going to turn to Romans 6 or 8. 
You have a union with Christ because of what the Holy Spirit did. It seals you till the day that God redeems your body in death and, of course, the ultimate resurrection. And, and you sense this union when life presses you so great, you may not even be able to say words. But you know you are connected and the presence of Christ is with you. The closest thing I've ever experienced that in my life was the death of my parents and the birth of my sons. If you have not that union, then you don't know Jesus. And it's our prayer that you would know Jesus. And the truth is, if you do know Jesus, you know what that means. You may not have known how it took place. I'm telling you, that's what the Bible teaches. It was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's an act of God you have no part in. Just as we saw last week, you have no part in saving yourself. And thank God you better say, yes, you're glad you didn't, because if salvation was done by you, you could lose it. But we can't. We're protected by God. The early church in its transition, and again, this isn't exhaustive on the Holy Spirit, but we've got to touch base on just a couple of things here. As the, as the gospel is expanding, Jesus brought the stamp of God through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, get this, because here's a part of the confusion. That baptism is not gibberish or ecstatic speech. Gibberish and ecstatic speech is pagan. You say, well, Kev, what about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the tongues of angels? Well, how do the tongues of angels speak in the Bible? With clarity to the hearer. I say that. There are many of our people who are our brothers and sisters, right? Who are a part of people who believe in, um, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in, in, in tongues are, exists now. First of all, I don't even think what's described today was the experience of Scripture. I think that was languages. And the languages were there to communicate the gospel. But I also want you to know, and I'm going to say this to move on, about the gospel expansion. I don't find myself being a cessationist or continualist, though I would probably side closer to being a cessationist. And some of you are wondering, what in the world does that mean? Well, just have a few more theological conversations and you'll find out. But let me say this. What happens in Acts is unique. It doesn't mean that God cannot do it again. It doesn't mean like right now in a third world country that God could raise someone from the dead. But nobody's raised anybody from the dead around here. No one's asking Jesus to heal someone and they're growing limbs. 
who were lame from birth. The health and wealth gospel has done damage to the true gospel. Because it tells a person, you're not expressing enough faith. I had to personally deal with that with a high school basketball player who was desperate when I was coaching high school basketball that he could speak in tongues because he thought if he didn't speak in tongues, he wasn't a child of God. That's a lie. It's a lie. So, I, you know, I get a little weird and I get a little riled up, you know, when you're getting into But I also believe that God can work. And God uniquely does some things. And he healed my one of my best friends of a softball-sized tumor that the doctor said, we don't even know what happened. We thought you were going to die. God does stuff. We're never going to limit God, right? We're not going to put him in a box. But God is not the author of confusion. He is, a, he is a God of order. He's a God of order. And so what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the expansion from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Thank you, Dr. Brand, and thank you, Pastor Alex. Shrinks the book of Acts, doesn't it? Helps us to see the oneness and the unity, not only of this book, but how it's tied, of course, to all the redemptive narrative of Scripture. Now, as we transition through that, through the gospel being expanded, right? The gospel also has inclusion. Go back to chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, according to R.C. Sproul, is the most important chapter in the book of Acts. I think he's right. I think he's right. Acts chapter 10, <clears throat> friends, is why you and I are sitting here. Because we're predominantly Gentile. It's not ironic when chapter 9 closes that Peter goes to be with Simon the Tanner. And Simon the Tanner lived by the sea because he would take the hides. A tanner was, he, he dealt with dead animals. He would take the hides and the winds off the sea would help those hides to, to um, dry out and they'd be utilized for leather, for, leather, for a, all sorts of, a, of adornments. But when you're looking at the gospel inclusion, you, you begin to ask yourself, well, how does all this tie together? What does Simon the Tanner, what is a sheep with animals and reptiles and birds what does Cornelius and what do the Gentiles have to do? What does all this signify? And again, I, I, don't, I can't like, like uh, capture this, but to try to get your mind into the text in terms of how people deal with people. The Jews, I mean, and, and Peter will even remind, you know, we have no association. Look at verse 28. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or visit with anyone of another nation. He's talking about Gentiles. Anybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile. But culturally, this is what Jews thought. And you can get this from William Barclay's commentaries. 
Jews, there was such a hatred between Jews and Gentiles. Jews believed that the fires of hell were kindled with Gentile flesh. Now that's some hate. Simon the Tanner was considered unclean because Simon the Tanner dealt with dead animals. He handled dead animals. And a proper Jew, according even to the civic law, could not be exposed to that. Then we get this vision. And man, is, it, is this not typical Peter? We get this vision of a sheet coming down, and it's filled with, um, you know, the, the Bible tells us there, it's, it, it's filled with all kinds of food that's clean or unclean. It's reptiles and it's animals and it's birds. And, uh, of course, it's going to be Peter that's going to try to correct the Lord again. <laughs> he has to see that vision three times. And the, then, then it even comes to this. He's perplexed. What in the world? This is sinful. But then he's told by God himself down to verse 28, But God has shown unto me, Peter says, that I should not call any person common or unclean. He's starting to get it through the Spirit. It's communicating to him what's taking place. The gospel is, is being expanded into Judea and Samaria, just as it did through the, uh, Stephen's ministry and through Philip's ministry. Cornelius, the text tells us, is a God-fearer. And I, I don't think we need to be um, to overplay this, this thought that he had worshipped God and it gave to the poor, whether he was a Christian or not. He's going to become a Christian, right? And really that's true for all of us. In all of our stories, you can look back and see drawing moments if you're reflective. And I would challenge you to do that. S certain spots in your life where God was drawing you because all of the elect will come in. And there's a number of, of a series of human events I experienced. And I look back on it and, and I remember like certain nudges. And, I, and, and you have that as well. And I do think this is one of those who, that, that Cornelius has because he hasn't heard. He's a God-fearer and what that means is is he didn't go and, and, and give himself to the ceremonial aspects of the Jewish law, even though he's, he's seen here as being well spoken of in verse 22 by the whole Jewish community. But he's a guy who, who prays. He's a guy who is a worshiper of God. And he's a guy who gives to the poor. And his story here is told... And this is what we don't want to miss and just kind of getting locked into his story is that God has a providential care for his people. You will come to the faith. But Peter knows specifically now, he says, wow, this isn't about birds and reptiles and animals. He wants me to go preach the gospel. And for yourselves, I would just reread verse 34 through 43 because that thing is a gospel 
powerhouse. But we're doing narratives, so I can't do that. With Jesus, life, death, and resurrection, a revolution began. It's a revolution that exploded in Jerusalem. Then it exploded in Judea and Samaria, in, in towns, in villages, in cities where people were communicating the gospel to someone else because Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead. The church really is a kingdom of all nations, just as Jesus said it would be. Revelation chapter 7. The kingdom of God currently resides in us, in the body of Christ, in the church. And the gospel is dominating right now in Iran and in China. In places where it doesn't matter what the government is. Please hear this. I'm getting hot. God is not saving people through your liberal hearts of politics or your conservatism. God saves people through the gospel. What you're doing is alienating yourself from a whole half of another group of people. Just because you want to be right politically. Do you see the stupidity of that? Because many of them are going to die in their sin and they're going to go to hell. Because we care about our rights. You bleeding heart liberal. You wicked hearted conservative. Just to picture this for you folks. They didn't take up a commission to go to Nero. Most of these dudes are going to get beheaded by Nero. They weren't trying to change the government. Because the kingdom of God is eternal. It will prevail. It prevailed in your life. And every time you preach it to someone else and God's business does the saving. That's his job. It's the spirit that regenerates hearts according to the redemption that Jesus provided through his life, death, and resurrection. According to the predestination of God the Father in eternity past. Let the saving of all of it be God's business. But let the telling of the gospel be your passion over everything in your life. And if it isn't, then God forgive you. Peter's vision that came from God wasn't about food or animals. It was about people. It's about people. It's about a group of people that so hated one another some would even dare to say on their, their mouths, 
The fires of hell are fueled by your flesh. Go back and read Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, where the Bible tells us through the prophet Isaiah that the Jews were to take the gospel to the nation and this whole group of people are hating each other. It's just weird as all get out that people hate one another over a 16th inch of, of, of a pigmentation on a skin. It's stupid. The gospel is inclusive of all people groups. The gospel is God's foolproof plan to save the world. And the only hero is our Lord. It's also mandated. Sometimes people look at the Old Testament against the New Testament and they think, well, they got saved differently. No, they didn't. Everybody gets saved by grace through faith. Well, aren't you glad we're not under law? We're under grace. No, you're not. You're under law. God's moral law. Why do you think you feel the conviction of your sin? And I do as well. And thank God I do feel the conviction of my sin because it points me to the one who can forgive me of my sin. No, the ceremonial law does not exist. No, the civic law does not exist, which came in these also dietary forms. They're fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, where the gospel moves God's people and God's place from one nation to the kingdom of all nations. But what remains of the law is God's moral law. And all of humanity... Romans chapter 3 is under that moral law, and all are guilty. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the meticulous nature of the Old Testament that seems like it works through such minutia, screams to us that God is holy. He must be obeyed. And if you Disobey him in one light. You have sinned and you're guilty of all the law, just as I am. Our God is holy and you and I are lawbreakers. We sin and Christ alone can save you. And in the judgment, Romans chapter 1 verse 20, no one will stand with an excuse. And God will bring to their memory every providential nudging where he was testifying to them. Let me tell you something. The gospel is intense because eternity is at stake. You need to trust in Christ alone. You need to acknowledge your sin and repent. You need to seek Jesus for forgiveness. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus. And here's the beauty of this text that is clear in the symbolism of what takes place. That God receives those who come to him on his terms. He will in no wise cast out. For when you were unclean, God himself has made you clean. Don't feel clean. But I am.
I feel weak. I feel helpless. I don't feel like I have any power. Because I don't. And when you come to the end of yourself, and whatever it is you're trying to hold on to, for whatever reason you're trying to hold on it for, it doesn't make any sense. Your soul's at stake. Jesus, church, has made us clean. He's removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. He tells us he'll remember it no more. He pulls us to himself. He embraces us. He adopts us. God cleanses you in Christ. Listen, he knows you sin. He knows your sin better than we do. Just confess it and leave it at Jesus' feet. And don't let Satan beat you up with it. Move on. The gospel has inclusion. It's not just Jews. It's Jews and Gentiles. For us, it's not just us four, no more, bar the door. Let me say this as I close. God created us, according to Genesis chapter 1, in the image of God. So every human being that's breathing, no matter what they look like, no matter what ethnicity they come from, bears value, eternal value. And they, in fact, will live for eternity. Either with Christ and his kingdom or those who have rejected Christ. But what that lets us know is the church, as one who have been saved by grace, as ones who have been made clean, though we're unclean, is I need to love my neighbor. I need to love the person that's next to me. I need to love the relationships of those who are around me. Why? Because God created them in their in his image, and their image is marred by their own sin. Hating people is not the gospel. Hating people is not Christian. If you hate others, you should genuinely question your Christianity. Because scripture says, if any man loves not his brother, the love of God is not in him. And as we're seeing this time and time in the book of Acts, the church is called his witnesses. And by God's grace, God help us to stop living for ourselves and go tell your world, whatever that is, about Jesus. Father, now as we, we bow our heads, And, and Lord Jesus, I, we can't help but be captivated by the book of Acts. These are, these are human stories that are real, that took place, where people were being killed for your cause, Lord, where, where many members in the church and even apostles were being martyred because they would not deny Jesus of Nazareth. Oh Lord, 
Would your love so nudge us that we would lift the scales off our eyes? Would your spirit lift the scales off our eyes and burden us with a care and a love for each other? Lord, help us to risk being rejected for you were rejected and left alone on the tree to bear our shame and to bear our guilt so that we might become your children, so that we might be made clean, so that we would know the forgiveness of our sin. Thank you, Lord. Lord, then for us that are maybe somewhat overwhelmed in our own sin, Lord, help us to confess it to you and to leave it at your feet. And as you have embraced us and adopted us as your own son, may we stand up from your cross and go into this world that's dark. But we're the children of light. Encourage us to bring the light of the gospel to them. Bless your people, bless your church. Save any, Lord, that don't know you this now. And may, as you awaken their hearts to salvation, may they come and tell one of us. We pray for these things and we ask for these things and we submit them to your care in the name of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.